Hi and welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We have begun a new series on Imperfect Families, Perfect God, where we learn from the lives of the various families in the book of Genesis and see how in spite of their many failings, God didn't give up on them. He continued to be faithful, true to his word and sovereign in every way. As you listen in, our hope is that you will see the hand of God in your earthly family and trust him with your future. Hello everyone. It is as always wonderful to be back. Um I hope all of you are having a wonderful weekend or had a good week. Uh we are so glad that you have joined us and I am looking forward to speaking with all of you today. So we are continuing on our journey to the book of Genesis. Uh how the the series is changing. Uh it is titled uh imperfect families perfect god so that is the title of the series that uh, we are starting on still continuing our walk through the book of genesis uh, so today we will look at the first family um adam and eve and uh, their sons so we'll be looking at uh, mostly genesis chapter 4 okay. so i am looking forward to sharing what uh, i have learned but uh, before i do we're going to go ahead and say a word of prayer and then we'll get into scripture heavenly father we thank you so much for this time that you've given us lord bless this time let it be fruitful let the words you have be spoken lord father give me words to speak let me not lean on my own understanding lord but i want to trust in your goodness as i speak what has been prepared father Lord trust um Lord I ask that you would guide uh this sermon and I put my trust in you to guide this sermon Lord and Father we as always remember our brothers and sisters around this world Lord that are not able to gather as freely as we are are not able to gather as uh, in safety and comfort that we do Lord Lord bring about change in those countries in those places in the cities villages wherever they may be bring about change lord let your kingdom be established lord and let there be peace so they can gather as a community in your name lord in freedom and security and that they can enjoy uh the communion of your church fam and lord also please We ask that you would get scripture into the hands of everyone that is desiring it, that needs it, that wants it, Lord. Um we ask that you would bless the people that are chosen to work as translators, translating scripture into the different languages that people groups are that need to be reached, Lord. Father, we ask that you would bless their work, that you would give them safety and protection, that you would allow them to flourish and that you would bless their families and their children. But again we thank you for this time. We want this time to be fruitful. We want to hear from you. I want to speak the things that you have prepared for us. So, we love you. Bless this time together. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned, we are getting into Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we will be looking at uh, 
well, the main story there is the story of uh, Cain and Abel. So we'll be looking at that and see what uh, God has to say about our own families from what we learn. So that is the objective today. I will read the first kind of portion of chapter four. We'll talk about it, then we'll go on to the next one. And then we will probably spend a little bit of time in Hebrews as well. So this is Genesis chapter four, verses one through six. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits up the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So this is Genesis 4, 1 through 6. So we start out with Adam and Eve, and then Eve is pregnant, or she gets pregnant, and she gives birth to Cain, her firstborn son. Okay, and so we have this line, with the help of the Lord I brought forth, right? So there's, she talks about giving birth to Cain a little bit more elaborately, uh, and then it goes into after she, later she gave birth to her brother Abel, so Abel doesn't get as many words as Cain does. So the firstborn gets a few choice words from Eve. Abel is almost like an afterthought, and then Abel was born. Uh, So, and then it jumps right into the story of uh, Cain and Abel that many of us might be very familiar with. Um, So Abel is the one that keeps flocks. So he herds sheep, he has lambs, so he that is the work that he is doing is he has flocks, right? And Cain works the soil, meaning he is maybe farming, he is bringing things out of the ground. And so we have these two brothers with two different work, flocks and soil, right? And it is time for them to bring offerings, so they choose to bring offerings. So Cain brings his offering of uh, fruits that have been come out of the soil, and Abel brings his offering of the fat portions of uh, the firstborn of his flock. And they both come and uh, place their offering. And it says that God favors Abel, or he regards Abel's offering, but he does not favor Cain's offering, or he has no regard for Cain's offering. So both offerings are come, and God favors one and not the other. We have probably heard many explanations as to why God has chosen Abel over Cain, right? Um, But if we look at the text and we stay within the text, 
The text really does not give us any, this text in Genesis does not really give us any idea as to why God favored one over the other, right? Both brought offerings, but he preferred one, he favored one, he regarded one over the other. But the text is pretty silent on that. There really is no idea. We, I, you may have heard that uh, uh, Abel brought the f- a blood offering or the firstborn or the first fruit. Uh, Cain did not. Cain just sacrificed fruit. Uh, if uh, you have been a Christian for several years, maybe in your childhood, you had a children's Bible, and sometimes I've seen it depicted where Cain's offering is like these kind of moldy, rotten fruit or vegetables that look kind of limp and sad. And then um, Abel's offering are these like plump lambs that are very healthy. So there are so many ideas floating around, right? So we are getting ideas from the Mosaic law as to how different sacrifices were offered. And we're kind of imposing those ideas on this text here in Genesis chapter 4. This Cain and Abel were not under that Mosaic law, really. So, like, those expectations were not placed on them, if we're looking at that. And even if you think that those expectations were placed on them, when we look at these different ideas, like, if your thought is, well, Abel gave a blood sacrifice and Cain didn't, then the details about a blood sacrifice are for atonement. There's no idea of atonement or picture of atonement in the text. Uh, you could say that Abel brought his first fruit and Cain didn't. Well, first fruits offerings were meant for the high priest, not really offered to God. So there, it just doesn't fit. So I think we just choose to rest on the fact that the text doesn't say. It does say how God responded to the offering. It does not say what the nature of the offering or if one was bad or one was good. As long as we know, both of them were acceptable offerings because they fruit and grain and offerings are okay under the mosaic law for certain things and a lamb the blood offering is okay under the mosaic law for certain things so as far as the actual offering the assumption is that they were probably acceptable or the offerings in some way however god favored abel's over kings so what if it is not the quality or if it's not the object that was being offered, if that's not what may have caused favor or no favor, uh, is there a different way of looking at it? And I think there is a perspective we can gain from a passage of scripture in the New Testament. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, so we're going to turn to the New Testament to Hebrews chapter 11, and this is verse 4. So it says, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So this idea of faith. So if it was not the nature of the sacrifice or what they brought, then here the perspective offered in Hebrews is that maybe it is the attitude with which they approach God. Abel came with faith. 
whereas maybe Cain did not approach God with faith. Faith as in a trust that God will do what he says he will do. That God is not a liar, but that he will do what he says he will do. So that is the idea of faith that we're talking about here. So Abel came with faith, Cain did not. And looking at that perspective, we can see how God would regard Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. However, um, the way God responds to Cain is not punishment or any kind of harsh rebuke. Uh, he's, then the Lord said to Cain, it says, why are you angry, right? Why is your face downcast? Just a verse earlier, talks about Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So he is feeling angry. He feels down. I don't think down is the really uh, perfect word to describe it. I think it's probably a much heavier emotion that he's feeling. But his face, he's downcast. He feels angry. And God comes and addresses the emotion he's having. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And then he proceeds to say, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted. So if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So when we see the phrase here in English, if you if you do what is right, our mind immediately switches to like this moral, if you do what is right, like if you do all the things rightly, if you keep my commandments, right, and then will you not be accepted? But the idea conveyed here is more, it's much deeper than that. This word that is translated as right here in the NIV, is the word good, the same word good that God uses in the Genesis narrative about, and it was good, and it was good. It's that same word that's used here. So it is, a paraphrase could be that, if you trust in my goodness, that's almost a paraphrase here for if you do what is right, if you trust in my goodness, if you do what is good, if you trust in my goodness, and in the next line, will you not be accepted? Here, this word for will you not be accepted, it's the same verb that's used for forgiveness throughout uh, Old Testament scripture. So if you trust in my goodness, will you not be forgiven? That's kind of like, that is the impact of this verse here. It's not like this call to uh keep up with your morality and make sure you make all the right moral choices. It is a call to repentance, really. If you, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you trust in my goodness, will you not be forgiven? So God is calling him to repentance. He is not met with punishment or any kind of harsh rebuke, but he is called to repent. Trust in my goodness. Come be forgiven, right? So it is a call that's pulling Cain closer, or at least trying to pull him in, into connection, into relationship with God, into closeness with God, right? Nothing here pushes Cain away. Yes, God did not favor his sacrifice, but his response was not to push Cain away. It was to draw him in. And he says, but if you do not trust in my goodness, as in if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over. But if you choose not to trust my goodness, 
what is waiting is sin. And the imagery we get here that is that it's crouching, meaning it is ready to pounce. So Cain is given a choice. Come close, be forgiven, trust in my goodness. But if you do not trust, sin is waiting, sin is crouching. And uh, its desire is for you. And But you must rule over it. So he is left with a choice after his first dialogue with God. Okay? And then we move on to the next portion of Genesis chapter 4. Uh, it is verses 8 through 16, and uh, I will be through it now. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear today. You are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times more over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Cain is faced with a choice, right? And then we see the choice that he makes. He calls his brother out to the field and he kills his brother. He murders his brother. Uh, we don't get much more about the actual incident apart from he called him to the field and he murdered him. Uh, the focus of the text really is not on the murder itself, but on the exchange, on the dialogue, the conversation that Cain and God have after this act is committed. So how does God respond? I mean, God knows that it has happened. Cain has killed Abel. And then what God says is, where is your brother? Right? It is... Uh, and he says, where is your brother? It's very reminiscent of words we heard in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord God said to the man, where are you? So after Adam and Eve had sinned, uh, they were hiding. God came in the cool of the day and he said, where are you? Very similar here. Where is your brother? Right? Something has happened. God appears and says, where is your brother? And then Cain responds, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? denying all responsibility, right? I don't know. Why would I have to know, right? Denying all responsibility for what happened, denying all responsibility that he has towards his brother. And God says that his blood is crying out of the ground. And, uh, and then 
after God says that his blood is crying out of the ground, there is this curse. And it says that um, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield. Uh, kind of if you look back in chapter 4, you see that Cain's uh, work was the soil. So, and the curse was that the ground will no longer yield to him. So that is his, that's how he produces uh, food. And so it is directly impacting his work. So the soil is not going to produce, he's going to be a wanderer. So he's going to have to probably hunt and gather food from now on and not uh, grow crops like agriculture. So it affects the work that he was doing. And that, and that, and that he would be, he'd be a wanderer. And then Cain says, this is too much to bear. This punishment is too much. Uh, I'm going to be a wanderer. I'm not going to be in your presence. Anyone who sees me will kill me. And then God says, not so. And then he places a mark on him uh, so that people will not kill him. So here, right, there are very strong parallels to what happened in Genesis chapter 3. So Adam and Eve are given a choice. There is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but please don't eat from it because you will surely die. And then they go and they question God's love for them, right? They question God's love for them and they take a bite of that fruit. And then they recognize that they're naked and they sew fig leaves together. And then before they're driven from the garden, there is this act of mercy and grace that we see from God where he makes them clots made out of um, animal uh, skin, right? It's, uh, it's protection for them. So we see even in the midst of that difficult moment where they chose to disobey God and undid the things uh, that brought brokenness and sin into the world. In that moment, we see this act of grace and mercy from God where he makes them this uh, clothes out of animal skin. And similar, we see in Cain. He is asked to trust in God's goodness, but he chooses not to trust in God's goodness, God's love for him. And then he makes another sinful choice. He kills his brother. And then there are consequences that follow, just like there was a curse after Adam and Eve. Here, there is a curse as well. Uh, so the consequences of the sin. However, there's still this act of grace and mercy. He is afraid for his life. He's afraid that uh, people will kill him. But God says, not so. And he puts a mark on him, which is an act of grace and mercy because it rescued guarantees life to Cain that no one will kill him. So we see some very strong parallels between the story of their parents, right, in uh, Genesis chapter 2 and the story, uh, Genesis chapter 3, and the story of the children in Genesis chapter 4. Ah. Different people, same family, similar stories. So the idea of... Uh, this imperfect family really comes out here. Two parallel stories, right? Both uh, end with very difficult consequences. Uh, both have very difficult consequences, but both end with this act of grace and mercy from God, uh, this perfect God. So what 
does this kind of have to do with us? So one, we can look at this idea of sin, right? It kind of starts in chapter three when they eat of the fruit and then sin is introduced and it affects Adam and Eve. But then we also see that it starts spiraling out of control and then it affects the family. It affects the family so immensely that there is this act of murder. Just this, it, it's not something light. It doesn't start with a little, then a lot, and a lot. There's no trickle-down effect in sin here. It just kind of spirals out of control from the very beginning. This huge act of uh, murdering his own brother is kind of how it starts out after the eat of the tree. So there is sin is kind of spiraling out of control. It affects families. So many times when we we are faced with the the realities of sin in our own families a lot. It may be the place in our lives where we come face to face with the with the realities of sin the most. And it can be very, very discouraging. Uh, our own sin and how it affects the lives of others, the other people's sin and how it affects us, right? So when we come face to face with the realities of sin and the consequences of that, it can be a very discouraging, um, challenging time. And when I talk about sin, talk about anything, like the brokenness that we experience in this life, the challenges that we go through with relationships and everything, all those things can cause um, discouragement, cause indifference, uh, can even make us uh, dwell in apathy and not care about things just because everything is so broken why should we care? So we can find our places, we can find ourselves in places of real discouragement, real moments where we may not be angry, but we are certainly downcast uh, when it comes to our families. So when it comes to our, our imperfect families, right? Uh, we see that when Many times we experience our families in very imperfect ways. So in the midst of that, what is God pulling us into? What is God calling us to do, right? So where, does, where do these imperfect families and this perfect God meet? I think for us, um, we can focus on Cain and Abel. Uh, the response that God had for Cain and the way that Abel approached God. So those are two ways that uh, we can kind of look at that. So God called Cain to trust in his goodness and Abel approached God with faith. So trusting in God's goodness and approaching God in faith. So faith again, the what we... The idea of faith that I'm talking about is trusting God that he will do what he says, that God is not a liar, but whatever he says, he will do it. That is the trust I'm talking about, right? So in when faced with the brokenness of our families, the challenges, right, the imperfections, 
the sin that confronts us in us and in our families and the discouragement that that leads to, how do we tackle that? So first, trusting in God's goodness, trusting in God's goodness uh, to tackle that. So what does trusting in God's goodness look like? What does it even mean? It it is uh, trusting that he loves us, um, trusting that he is faithful, trusting that he has our good at the forefront of his thoughts, right? Trusting in his goodness that he will take care of us. So kind of trying to shift perspective on his goodness versus the sin that might be confronting us in very difficult ways. And then two, faith. What, so faith, what is this? faith or trust in God look like? This faith that he will do what he says he will do. I think in those moments, like when we are filled with fear and doubt when it comes to our families, fear that our children may not be making the decisions that we want them to make, right? Uh, Fear that the money we expect to be coming in to pay for expenses this month or this year is not coming in. Fear that there might be an illness. Maybe we have older parents where their health is being affected. Maybe we have young children where their health is being affected, right? And that causes fear and it causes doubt. In those moments, faith would be trusting God and believe and trusting that He will do what He says, that He will heal, that He will provide and that he will redeem, that he will bring reconciliation, right? That he will restore all things, that all things work together for our good. So when we are faced with sin and faced with the imperfections of our families, the reality is that we have a perfect God. And because we have our we have a perfect God and we come face to face with these realities, we can look at him through God's goodness, trusting in his goodness for us. And we can look at him through placing our faith in him. So keep bringing back to our mind that he's a God that loves us and that he can, when we can trust his love, he's a God that is faithful to us and we can trust him to be faithful. And, and, asking him to help us with our faith, for us to trust that he will provide, for us to trust that he's the one, just like he leads and guides us, that he is in control, leading and guiding our children, and that he will take care of them, and that uh, he will bring reconciliation to relationships that are ongoing well, that are unbroken. Uh, One more thing I kind of want to add is, if we can trust in his goodness, that also, I think, means that we can be the ones that initiate uh, reconciliation. If uh, we are involved in a relationship, if, if there is some kind of brokenness that we're dealing with in our relationships and our family, because we can trust in his goodness, 
we know that God is good and we can trust in his goodness for us, that gives us the courage to take that first step towards reconciling and asking forgiveness too. So I think that kind of plays into it as well. Now, so where do we see this play out in this first family, right? Um, so I want to share something that I have this, I have not come across this idea before I did my study on this. Uh, but the reason I'm sharing is that you may not have come across this idea, but I think there is plenty of room in the text for this idea where it could be a way to view uh, <clears throat> the first uh, verse of Genesis chapter 4. Uh, I'm not saying that everybody fully agrees with this, but I think it is an idea that's worth thinking about and noting, and it might give us some perspective, right? So we have uh, Adam and Eve, right? They're married, they make love, and then she gets pregnant, and she gives birth to Cain. And in the English, it says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth Cain. In the original language, Hebrew, with the help of really doesn't, isn't there. It's been put in there by translators who are trying to help us understand, to help us understand the text. But Another way that this text can be viewed, the way it's written in Hebrew, is uh, I brought forth a man or a man-child who is the Lord or the Lord. As in, the word used here is the, I brought forth a man, I brought forth a man-child, Yahweh, as in the Lord. Uh, almost this idea that um, they believed God promise so much, right? When we go back to Genesis chapter 3, right? It said, cursed are you, he's talking about the serpent. It says Genesis chapter 3 verse 14, cursed are you above all, above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So, it's almost as if Adam and Eve believed that the Savior, right, that God promises already here and that, that the Savior is Cain because they want, they're expecting, and they believe that the, that promise that God made about sending someone to crush the head of the snake is here and that this person is Cain. Uh, so it, if that were true, it's likely that maybe Cain... Um, <clears throat> grew up with his parents telling him that he's going to be a savior or something like that. And that might explain why maybe he didn't come to God with faith because he was filled with pride. I'm not sure, but the idea that Eve thought that Cain is this person who's supposed to crush the head of the snake is there in the text. And I think there's a lot of room for that to be true as well. So if you think, right, they are so delighted to give birth to their firstborn. They think he's the one that's going to save them from this curse, right? And then you can see that uh, they mention Abel as an, just like an afterthought. So this person that they're expecting to save them does the horrible thing of killing his brother, right? So for Adam and Eve, in one foul swoop, they lose not just one, but they lose two children, right? They lose one to murder and they lose the other one to banishment gone. Where do you go from here, right? How do you move forward? But that's what we see them do. 
uh, at the end of chapter four, they give birth to Seth. And out of Seth, or in the line of Seth, our Savior, our Redeemer, the actual person who's going to crush the head of the serpent, comes. So even we see Adam and Eve, despite this probably... I don't know words to describe the pain that they must have felt when they lost both their sons. <clears throat> but trusting in God's goodness and having faith, they moved forward and they chose to have children. And out of Seth, the son they had after him, comes the genealogy and the line of Christ. So even here, very imperfect family, right? But able to trust in God's goodness and have faith, despite all these really difficult consequences of sin in their life. So it is something that we are able to do, not of our own strength, right? I'm not telling you you can will yourself into this, but we have Christ, right? We have Christ. By faith, we are united with him, he's the one that redeems us, and we have his strength in us, right? When even here, when he talks about you must rule over it, it's not God expecting us to rule over or sin by our own self. It is him being there for us, right? So that through him, we can rule over sin. So our families um, may, our families are not perfect, right? They may be places where we experience the brokenness of this world the most, but it is also the places where we want to trust in God's goodness and we want to have faith because so that we can allow God to move and transform us and redeem us out of uh, the brokenness that we are experiencing. Um, God loves our families. Um, even though at moments it might be difficult for us to love them, God loves us and our families. And he is calling us along with our families to transform, to transformation. <clears throat> so as you go out, when you're faced with discouragement, when you're faced with the difficulties, the brokenness of your families, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be intentional to focus on, to trust in God's goodness for us to trust in God's goodness for our families, right? And also to place our faith in Him and to take uh, the faith that we placed on ourselves and put that faith on Him to know that He is able to do the things that He said He will do, which means that He will provide, He will heal, He will reconcile, He will restore, and He will love and guide as He has promised to do. So as you go out, Let's uh, have those things in mind when we might be faced with the difficult realities of our family the moment uh, church ends or the moment you turn this message off. So 
I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray for you, and then uh, we'll end. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you that you have given us families, Lord. Uh, no matter how they might look or how we might experience them or how they might experience us, we thank you. And we are filled with gratitude for our families, Lord. Father, we invite you in to transform us and transform our families, Lord. And Father, we ask that you would give us the right perspective to view them, or that we would view them in light of the, your goodness, trusting in your goodness, Lord. And that we would view them with faith placed solely on you, Lord. And we know that you are not a liar. We know that you will do everything you have said you will. Lord. So we place our trust in you. We place our faith in you. And we choose to trust in your goodness, Lord. Even though circumstances may not seem good, we choose to trust in your goodness. So Lord, as we go out this week, remind us, Lord, help us to be intentional about trusting in your goodness, about putting our faith in you, Lord. And help us to reach out and pull our family in, Lord, just like you reached out in that moment to pull Cain and help us to reach out to our families and pull them in, Lord. Father, we ask that you would foster connection in our families, that you would foster vulnerability, Lord, that you would foster openness, Lord. And that all these things, that we would be grounded and centered in you, Lord, and that you, our families would be built around you. So, Father, draw us and our families to you. Transform us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, whoever finds Jesus finds life.